Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's March 4th, 2022. It's the morning in San Francisco on the West Coast of the United States. The news, of course, this morning is dire. I'm not sure how much worse it can get. The Russians have invaded the Ukraine and they set fire to a, a nuclear complex. Uh, fortunately, at least in this slot today, we're not going to talk about the Ukrainian crisis. I want to take your mind off it. I want to cheer you up, take your mind off the Ukraine and perhaps think about sports, although not all sporting news is good either. Uh, Major League Baseball now is cancelled. There's a strike. But there is one good piece of news, an encouraging, inspiring piece of news. Mike Krzyzewski, and I hope I pronounced his name right, is coaching his last game tomorrow of Duke uh, against the old rivals uh, UNC. Uh, he's been at Duke for 40 years. He's probably the most successful coach, not probably, is the most successful coach in the history of college basketball. Uh, the tickets for this final Duke home game tomorrow are more expensive than Super Bowl 56, uh, the Super Bowl that just got played. Um, uh, according to somebody from USA Today, the cheapest ticket available uh, is over $3,000. Everybody wants to see Coach K's uh, final game, the huge lines, 32 days in Krzyzowskiville. Uh, according to ESPN, uh, camping with the kids, waiting for tickets. Uh, the Wall Street Journal reports that uh, Coach K's last game has spawned a $20 million real estate bubble. So Coach K goes beyond base, uh, not baseball, basketball. He's a remarkable character, really one of the great stories in American sports. And I'm thrilled that we have the author, a um, very timely book, came out earlier this week, of Coach K. The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski. Uh, Ian uh, O'Connor is my guest today. He is uh, a prolific sports journalist uh, based in New Jersey, talking to me from New Jersey. I think he works for the New York uh, Post or Daily Post, uh, author of, of several best-selling books on, uh, on sports. Uh, Ian, is this an uplifting story, the story of Coach K? Uh, I think so, Andrew. And, and listen, I, I cover the negatives in his life and in his career uh, as well. But when you look at the story of Mike Krzyzewski, it's the story of America in a lot of ways. His grandparents were Ellis Island immigrants from Poland. And his father changed his name from Krzyzewski to Cross in, in Chicago to avoid discrimination against Polish-American immigrants and their children. And Mike never did. When, when Mike was a young boy, he had an uncle, Uncle Joe, who was a police officer in Chicago, who told him, don't ever change your name like your father did. Your name is Krzyzewski and be proud of it and keep it. And he did. And, and he was emotional when he talked about that back in 2001 when he was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame and, and how his father probably would be surprised that a Krzyzewski could make it into an American Hall of Fame of any sort. but. He was someone who I believe was shaped by that experience. His parents were people without high school educations. They spent their lives laboring for, for wealthy people. 
His mother was a cleaning lady who owned two dresses. Those two dresses were always perfectly pressed, hanging in her closet. And his father was an elevator operator and, and later owned a small tavern that didn't have great success. And so I think he was raised to believe that you have to make your way in this country and people will try to take things away from you. In a sense, I guess people took his father's name away from him temporarily. And, and I think he had an inner competitive rage that was rooted in that upbringing in Chicago. And that's the way he built Duke or how he built Duke into the signature college basketball program in the country. Uh, Ian, uh, he's retiring tomorrow. So Coach K, he's not going to be history. I'm sure he will have another career. Maybe we'll talk about that later. Um, but he's, in the way you presented him, he's the story of another America, the America of the past. There's a degree perhaps almost of nostalgia in your description of him. Those kind of men don't really exist anymore in America, do they, Ian? Well, I would say in, in American sport anyway, that we will never see another Mike Krzyzewski. It's very unlikely. There's so much change in college athletics in, in the U.S. And, and really the players now, the student athletes have a form of free agency. There's a lot of coming and going. And I think Krzyzewski representing a stability that uh, probably doesn't exist anymore, at least in his world and in the world I cover as a sports journalist. So uh, to, to have, I mean, at the end of the day, I think Mike Krzyzewski is probably, has probably as a single individual has made more money at one university than anyone in the history of higher, uh, of, of just of any college or university in, in the country. And not, not just talking about sports, anything. I think he's probably the, the, the highest compensated employee in the history of. America, I, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Cause I wanted to talk about that, Ian. I, um, Doing my research for this section, I went to the Duke website, and rather than having a front page, this is a major university, one of the leading universities in the world, rather than having a front page on academics, the front page is of Coach K and the Cameron crazes. Um, is everyone at Duke happy? I mean, obviously, they're not critical of Coach K for winning basketball games. But do you think there's a, there's a parable somehow in the Coach K story about how competitive sports and the money of competitive sports is completely out of control in, 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 in American colleges. Sure. I think you can make that point. And I, I believe there are people at Duke university that, that wonder about the significance and prominence that basketball has in that, in that school. And it's, and it's branding around the country, around the world. And, but Mike Krzyzewski on the other hand has meant a whole lot to the endowment of that university. And it's, it's hard to argue that point. Nan Cohan was a former uh, president of Duke University. She, her background, she's a great academic, the most prestigious universities in the country, and uh, went to uh, Wellesley, a, a small liberal arts school. Where Hillary and, went. Uh, exactly. And so when she arrived at, at Duke and, and saw the, the monster that uh, Duke basketball had become, I think she was a little taken aback and had to adjust to that. And she did. She ended up falling in love with the basketball program. And, and so uh, I, I do think that there are people at the school that have that concern that uh, this is a great university. It should not be known first and foremost for, for winning basketball games. Yeah. And as I said, I mean, you can't blame coach. I, 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 one can be critical of all sorts of things, but one can't blame coach K for winning games. Right. Uh, Ian, very briefly for our audience, not everyone will be familiar with his career. Very briefly, 
explain why this career is so remarkable. Give me some numbers about games he won, seasons he coached, and uh, and the overall numbers of, of how he is the most successful coach in college uh, basketball history. Well, well, Mike Krzyzewski has nearly 1,200 victories, five national championships, 12 trips to the Final Four. And so he has the, the record for victories in, in the history of college basketball. And, and in 1980, when he was hired at Duke, he was his, his record at Army at West Point was 9-17. and 17. So he never should have gotten this job in the first place. But it took an athletic director at Duke, Tom Butters, who believed in him and had a gut feel that Mike was the right guy for the job when people were telling him, are you crazy? You're hiring a guy who was 9-17 and 17 at West Point. Nobody's ever heard of him. Nobody can pronounce or spell his name at Duke, which already had a, a fairly significant basketball program. So it's a pretty amazing story. He was nearly fired, Andrew, in his first uh, three years at Duke. He, uh, The boosters and the alums and the faculty and the students and the fans all wanted him gone because they struggled and were losing games while the universities next door, North Carolina and North Carolina State, were winning national championships. So for him to uh, build a program that was the best in the country and to retire now at age 75 as the greatest, arguably anyway, and I think he is the greatest college basketball coach of all time in this country is an amazing story. It is indeed an amazing story. Um, as I said, your, your book is out uh, and I was looking at it on Amazon and Amazon made a mistake. They don't usually make mistakes or at least Talk the algorithm it. on Amazon made a mistake. They made you the number one bestseller in soccer biographies. And, of course, Coach K is a basketball biography. <laughs> but well, uh, soccer is my game, Mike. And um, the, the story of Coach K kind of reminds me, I'm not sure how familiar you are with Sir Alex Ferguson, the Manchester oh, United uh, manager, who, like Coach K, came to a very big franchise Without a huge amount of success, he came from Aberdeen. His first two or three seasons weren't particularly successful. And then, like Coach K, he became the most uh, successful coach in the history of domestic or perhaps even international soccer. I guess the the parable of the, the, the Ferguson story is that the admin at Manchester United had faith in him. I assume the same was true at Duke, that they just simply believed in this guy and they gave him two or three years to turn the program around. Correct. And Sir Alex, uh, I'm very familiar with him. My son is a Manchester City uh, fanatic, and so uh, he's not a big fan of, of Sir Alex's, but uh, certainly respect and, and understand the legacy as one of the greatest coaches in the history of sport anywhere. Ask planet. your son how Manchester City got on a couple of weeks ago against Tottenham. <laughs> we flew over to Manchester a few years ago to watch City play. and uh, No, but he he understands the greatness of, of Alex Ferguson. We all do. And he just wasn't a United fan. But I my previous subject, uh, Bill Belichick, it was, was, I thought, actually maybe... Yeah, uh, Belichick and Ferguson. Because that's yeah. the thing about Ferguson is... There are all these stories about the hairdryer, about how terrified he made player. He threw a, a boot famously at David Beckham. But Coach K isn't like that, is he? He's not a terrifying character. What, what makes him, in your view, Ian, such a remarkable coach? Okay, well, his, his mentor and coach at Army, Bob Knight, was terrifying. Yeah, and, I mean, that's the Alex Ferguson on steroids, Bob Knight, isn't it? Right, and so I, I think behind closed doors, Mike can be terrifying to his players, and I have uh, many scenes in my book of him 
<laughs> getting right in their faces with some really degrading language. He is the most profane American coach I've ever been around. Uh, yeah. of, and, and that doesn't really, I've, I'm not morally offended by that at all. I, I curse myself. But when I sat near the Duke bench for the first time in 1999, I could not believe my ears for two and a half, two hours and 15 minutes of extreme relentless profanity. So I, I've seen him get really, really angry as he motivates his players. Now, Bob Knight crossed the line of acceptable conduct. Mike would go up to the line, but he would not cross it. And that was the difference between those two men as coaches. I, I think he was a great communicator. I've, I've heard many stories when Krzyzewski is alone with you in a room, whether you're a Fortune 500 CEO or a teenager from a challenging background, he could make you feel like you're the only other person in the world at that moment. And that's a gift that I think he's born with. And and and, and, that, and that's the gift of all successful people. I remember mm -hmm. hearing similar stories about Bill Clinton, for example. I mean, this guy clearly is a master communicator, Coach K. Correct. And so uh, the preparation and attention to detail is is off the charts. And then you add the emotional aspect to it. He does inspire and motivate with emotion. Belichick did not. Belichick motivated the New England Patriots through extreme preparation. And 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 Mike added the emotion. And, and I do think you're born with that. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly not a leader and never pretended to be. So I'm fascinated by those who are and are just extremely gifted at leadership. And so I actually think this is a leadership book more than it is a sports book. Right. I want to talk about that a little bit later uh, after the break, actually. You have one note in your book that's made some news about how um, when uh, when Coach K coached the American basketball team in 2008, he even managed to get LeBron and uh, Kobe Bryant to begin talking to one another, two particularly outsized egos. So if he can get those guys talking, he can do anything. Right. He had to obviously change his style of coaching when he was dealing with NBA megastars on the Olympic stage as opposed to college students at Duke. And so uh, but there was a scene in the book where they all held each other accountable. And Coach K talked about accountability with his players and LeBron held them to that. So uh, LeBron James was upset at some shots that uh, Kobe Bryant was taking taking against Australia in the prelim game in Shanghai before heading over to Beijing in 2008. So he went up to Coach K in the middle of the game and said, yo, coach, you better fix that bleep bleep. And everyone knew who he was talking about, Kobe Bryant. So, yeah. And I'm sure that Coach K bleep bleeped him back. Uh, no, he, he listened. And, and in fact, as much as he didn't want to do this as a college coach, now he has to confront one of the greatest NBA players of all time and tell him, by the way, Kobe, we need you to take uh, fewer shots or shots that are not that acrobatic. We need more team-centric play out of you. So the next day, that's what he did. He didn't want to do it, but he pulled Kobe aside. He opened his laptop. He showed him some shots that he thought were selfish shots. And Kobe looked at him and said, okay, coach, it won't happen again. And, and it didn't. Now, uh, so I thought that was an example of LeBron James holding Coach K accountable, Coach K holding Kobe Bryant accountable, and Kobe then winning the gold medal for the U.S. by taking acrobatic shots, which I thought was there was some great irony in that. Kobe had to bail them out against Spain at the end of that game, or else the United States would have lost the gold medal. I'm talking with um, the American sports writer, Ian O'Connor, prolific writer, journalist, author of four or five books. His new book on Coach K is just out, just in time for Coach K's final Duke basketball home game against UNC tomorrow, a game that if you want to go, cost you 
for perhaps around five or six thousand dollars for a seat. Uh, we're going to take a break, uh, Ian. Now and afterwards, I want to talk more broadly about the the management lessons that Coach K's life and career offer. You said that uh, it's it's beyond a sports book, and I want to talk about the kind of lessons that his life, his success, and perhaps some of his failures offer. Uh, the rest of us. So hold tight, everyone. We'll be back in about 60 seconds with Ian O'Connor, the author of Coach K. Hi, everyone. Andrew here again. I'm not sure if you're listening or watching or even reading about this Keenon show. I certainly hope you're enjoying it. But I wanted to remind you that there are many different ways you can use to enjoy my Keenon show. The first, of course, is by, in a very traditional way, subscribing to the audio-only podcast. You can do this um, using Apple or Spotify or CastBox or many of the other traditional uh, podcast distribution platforms. We're on all of them. And if you want to access uh, all the podcasts together, you can go to my LitHub page um, in their podcast section, which is dedicated to all the interviews. Uh, if you're into watching this, as opposed to simply listening, um, if you follow me on Twitter at AJ Keen, you can watch these shows live uh, and you can do the same um, if we're connected uh, on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not a great fan of Facebook, but LitHub is. And on their LitHub live page, you can watch these shows live as well. Um, in terms of uh, recorded videos, uh, not live, you can see all the shows on the LitHub YouTube page. So whatever your preference, whatever your taste, whether it's video or audio or text, there's no excuse for not watching or listening to my show. Now, back to Keenon. We're back with Ian O'Connor, the author of Coach K, a wonderful new book about uh, Mike Krzyzewski, the, uh, the, the, the greatest of all basketball coaches, who is coaching his last home game against UNC tomorrow at Duke. Uh, Mike, at the beginning, uh, I, I joked, uh, Amazon got your book wrong. They made you the number one bestseller in soccer biographies. We brought up <laughs> Uh, Alex Ferguson, and Alex Ferguson co-wrote a book with the great uh, Sequoia venture capitalist out here, Mike Moritz, um, called Leading, Learning from Life and My Years at Manchester United. You mentioned that you thought that uh, Coach K's life and the story that you present also offers management life lessons for the rest of us. Perhaps you might say something about that. Well, for starters, uh, the way he treated the women in his life. And, and again, when you're dealing with student athletes, you're, you're hopefully most concerned about the development of the human being. Of course, your goal is to win basketball games while doing that. So uh, his wife, Mickey, was his co-head coach at Duke for 42 years. And he involved well, literally? her. Literally? Well, no, not literally, figuratively. Sorry. But he involved her in everything. And when he first got the head coaching job at West Point, she knew that was a male dominated world. And at the and time, that was the one when he worked for Knight, right? Well, he had uh, been a graduate assistant for Knight at Indiana. So he ended up going to West Point 
in the uh, mid-70s as the head coach uh, at Army, and Bob Knight helped him get that job. But it was a male-dominated society, and Mickey made uh, Mike promise that he would include her in everything, and maybe outside of entering the men's locker room, she would be allowed to go anywhere he went. And, and he lived up to that promise, and he did the same thing at Duke. And big decisions in the Blue Devil basketball program, she was involved in those without question. And also his daughters were – always with him, traveling with him. They now work in the athletics department at Duke. And, and I just think the respect he showed the women in his life, and I know players have s remarked to me in my research and also to him directly, that, that they learned how to respect women through him. And I think there's nothing more important than that. And and, and Nothing? Just, I, I mean, well, I mean very, I, I'm not convinced, Ian, that, I mean, so what? So he didn't abuse women? He uh, he, he didn't. He he wasn't involved in in women's sports. I, I don't. I'm not convinced by that. I have to admit. I mean, I'm I, I, okay. I'm, I'm sure it's commendable, but is that central to his life? Do you think? Uh, well, it's to his basketball program, and those players watch that every day with his wife involved, and not a wife who was at home who would just show up at games. But she was very involved in every decision. He empowered her, and and I I do well. Listen, they told me that directly in the interviews I did. I did about 275 interviews for the book. And a number of players made that a point to to relay to me that uh, that that had an impact on them as human beings. So and Mike, they didn't love everything about Mike Krzyzewski. And there were times that they thought his style of, of getting in your face and screaming profane, degrading things was not something that, that they thought had a positive impact on them and was unnecessary at times. So uh, they saw the, the flaws in him as, as a leader as well. But anyway, that was a theme that came up uh, quite often in my reporting. What else, uh, Ian? I know you've done some reporting as well on his treatment of uh, ex-players uh, when they've had great sadness in their life. He is a, a handwritten letter machine, and that's for players, for former coaches, for fans when he's contacted by strangers who had, unfortunately, a tragic circumstance in their lives, children with cancer. He's amazing. I mean, he was a machine over 40-some-odd years of doing that. Right. And you write about uh, Joe McGinnis, about one player who died and something that Mike, uh, Coach K, had to tell him before he died. Right, Andrew. And he was uh, his final point guard at West Point and someone who died, unfortunately, six years ago of cancer. And in his dying days, and he was he felt as a coach because he became a high school coach himself. And just as a man that Coach K had a great and profound impact on him that before he died and Coach K was in his final months trying to get the best medical care for him, calling doctors in New York and at Duke. And, and texting him and, and, and inspiring him to fight and, and to not quit. And so before he died, he knew he was dying. He wanted to tell Coach K that I didn't quit, that I may have, quote unquote, lost this battle with cancer, but I need you to know that I did not quit in fighting it. So he couldn't speak anymore. Cancer had robbed him of that ability. So he had his brother next to his deathbed on the phone with Coach K relaying that message that before I go, I need you to know that. And I thought that was a, a very profound scene. And I opened the book with it for that reason. Ian, what about his evaluation of, of talent? Um, I was talking to my wife, who's much more of a basket college basketball fan than I am. And, and she mentioned that one of the things about, that she's a big Stanford fan, but one of the things about Duke that stands out 
is what she calls their sort of white bread style stars. So she talks about Grant Hill, for example, epitomizing that. Obviously, in contrast with the great Michael Jordan, who played at UNC, was Coach K averse in some ways to superstars? Did he look for Grant Hill style players or did he allow the real superstars to bloom? Would that have worked in his system? Uh, it did work later on and and he adjusted. But or you're in the 90s with Grant Hill, Christian Leitner, Bobby Hurley, these traditional Duke teams of four-year players, uh, that what was that was a program that I think he intended on maintaining for his entire career. And those of us who covered it in the 1990s assumed that as well. But when he and, and Grant Hill coming from a traditional Duke background, his mother was a classmate of Hillary Clinton's back in the day. And his father was an NFL player. So he came from substantial means. And, and not every Duke player did. Bobby Hurley and Christian Leitner were blue collar uh, players and kids. But later on, after coaching the Olympics, LeBron and Kobe, he decided, I want the very best players at any level I'm coaching at. So that's when he embraced the one and done era of college basketball and started going after the top recruits who he knew would only spend one year at Duke before entering the NBA draft. So he did go after those superstar high school players who were one and done. And that started pretty much in earnest after the 2008 Olympics, uh, Kyrie Irving and Jabari Parker, Austin Rivers, and the players who won the 2015 national championship were one and done players. He turned Duke into an NBA training ground. And, Although my wife, and again, I excuse me if I'm wrong here, I can blame my wife, which I usually do for most things. Um, she thinks, or she suggested that there haven't been any truly great NBA careers coming out of Duke, which may actually reflect well on Coach K because he got the mm. most out of players who weren't great. That's a, that's a very, it's a good observation. I think there was a little bad luck involved in that. When you look at Grant Hill would have been one of the 15 greatest players of all time in the NBA, but injuries derailed his career. Uh, Christian Leitner, I never understood why he wasn't a better NBA player. Bobby Hurley, a uh, uh, near-fatal car accident, derailed his career. So uh, I think she's right, in a sense. And when you look at the Duke graduates, now we'll see with Zion Williamson if he can get healthy. And R.J. Barrett has a possibility. But Jason Tatum in, in Boston has a chance to be a, a long-term great NBA player. So some here and there, but I would say you're right, or your wife is, that at North Carolina, for instance, we've seen more examples of of the great professional basketball player. Are you married, Ian? I am. So, you happy. know, the wife is always right. Coach K knew that too, didn't he? Happy wife, happy life. Is that is that the expression? I think so. Uh, but uh, Coach K, actually, when I talked earlier about involving Nikki and everything, and, and that was meeting with recruits as well, and she would give the thumbs up or a thumbs down as to whether or not she believed that recruit was Duke material. And so she, she was not a figurehead there and not it's a, it's a remarkable story uh, th there was a piece i saw online uh asking you know it's always in sports what if it's like what if manchester united hadn't hired alex ferguson right what if duke hadn't hired coach k let's reverse that question let's not imagine duke because that's not the story of your book it's coach k what would have happened if Coach K hadn't gone to Duke? Do you think he would have inevitably had a remarkable career? Was there something about him or something which just makes him a great man? Whatever he would have done, he would have succeeded enormously in? I think so. And I think that of the greats 
in, in any profession that, that they would have found a way somehow, some way. And I look at my previous subject, Bill Belichick, and uh, many football fans believe if he never found Tom Brady, he would have been fired a second time, first in Cleveland, the second time, of course, in New England, and never would have achieved greatness. I, I find it hard to believe that that to be the case. It would have been a tougher road. He would have found a way, some other way, to win championships. And I think if Mike were a CEO of a company, he would have been a great CEO. I, I think he was born to lead, so it would have been a leadership position. And uh, if uh, he didn't end up at Duke and he stayed at he Army. He might have gone to US, UNC and, 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 and coached the great Michael Jordan. Then what? No, Dean Smith was locked in there. That wasn't changing. And, uh, but he would have found his way at Army. And the, the danger is going back to Army off a 9-17 and 17 season. If he had another 9-17 and 17 season, maybe he gets fired and he needs to start over. But I, I'm I'm sorry. Uh, just looking at his career and what he built at Duke, and and the staggering durability. The, to think that at age 75, what would have happened if he'd have gone to Stanford, my wife's team? They still would have lost every game, right? Stanford? No, Stanford's had uh, some decent teams over the years. Not many. Well, they're pretty bad, Ian, though, aren't they? In basketball, uh, anyway, men's they, basketball. They've had a few moments, but uh, I'm I, I a think... Berkeley person, not that I even follow the game. Um, Ian, Mike would have uh, won at were... Stanford. You you wrote a book uh, also Arnie and Jack on uh, Jack Nichols uh, Jack not Jack Nicholson Jack Nicholas and um, Arnold Palmer. Um, Nicholas is quite controversial politically now. Uh, Coach K has spent forty years in North Carolina at Durham at Duke, controversial state. There's a headline this morning in Slate about North Carolina Republicans uh, trying to decimate the voting rights. Uh, tensions racially, politically in North Carolina, like uh, many other states in America. Is Coach K a political man? Do you write much in the book about his politics, or did he has he has he made an effort to stay out of politics? He, he's tried to, for the most part, stay out of it in the public arena. He is Republican, and he did uh, organize a fundraiser for. Elizabeth Dole, many uh, years ago. No, he's a, a sort of a, a moderate Republican. With is that? I, how I, you believe, I believe so, and I don't think he was ever a, a fan of Donald Trump's. And he, he had been critical of him in a couple of public forums, and so I, I wouldn't say he's uh, very political, at least for public consumption. But uh, and I think over over the years, he's uh, maybe his wife has worked on him a little bit and made him more of a a moderate. But uh, if you recall, there was the Duke lacrosse scandal and he was criticized for for not taking a stand in in that case. And he felt like there was a no win situation for him. No matter what he said, he was going to get criticized. So he tried to stay out of it. I think for the most part, Krzyzewski has tried to stay clear of these issues that uh, were were controversial. What about on race, Ian? uh, I mean, there are a lot of college basketball players, obviously, who are African-American. Uh, in in the black, in our Black Lives Matter age, uh, can he keep out of that? Um, does Has he strong views on racism, on uh, the George Floyd incident? He did uh, produce a Black Lives Matter video that I thought was very heartfelt and, and genuine and uh, and put that out to, to widespread uh, praise. And uh, listen, there was a, a point in his program back in the 1990s where some of his assistants were privately saying, hey, we've gotten 
too white in this program in a sport largely dominated by African-American players. And there was a transition and, and a couple of his coaches persuaded him to, hey, let's start recruiting kids who come from non-traditional Duke backgrounds. And you saw in the, in the late 90s a, a change at Duke and in the kinds of players they were recruiting and signing to scholarships. And Chris Carrawell is now uh, an assistant coach at Duke was uh, from one of the toughest neighborhoods in St. Louis. He said, when it rained outside, it rained in my house and nobody from where he lived ever went to Duke. And he was recruited and signed at Duke. And, and he was a turning point player for that program. Afterward, uh, I talked to some black players who followed him who said that had an impact on them that Chris Carrawell went to Duke. So uh, I do think that there was change uh, in that basketball program in the mid-19, mid to late 1990s to where today, really, I think Duke reflects the teams that are at the high end of, of major college athletics, particularly basketball and football. Yeah, and, I mean, it's remarkably scandal-free. I was talking to my wife about that, too, which is, it's not a great news story, but that is an achievement. Uh, Ian, um, last week I had Charles Spencer, British historian, who also happens to be the uh, the uncle of the next King of England uh, on my show. He wrote a book about uh, kings in 12th century England. The subtitle of your book is The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski. When we think of reigns, we think of kings. Is there something almost monarchical about his 40 years at Duke? I think so. I think so. I, I think he did turn uh, Duke into his own kingdom, if you will. And he was the one constant over 40 plus years in like college. Like the Queen basketball. of England, like Elizabeth. <laughs> exactly. And uh, while he everything was, falls apart, he's still there. He was a, he was a, a ruling hands-on king. He was involved in absolutely everything. Uh, and, and so uh, there was not any detail too small for him to not be involved with in that athletic that, Are you sort of saying he was a bit of a pain in the neck? He could Micromanager. be. Micromanager? He could be, no question. How, how did you deal with him in this book? Did you have a lot of time with him? No, no, he did not cooperate. Uh, the one thing I, I will always appreciate is that he did not call his friends and associates and tell them not to talk to me like Bill Belichick. It's a generous book. There's no reason for him to be unhappy. Has, has he responded yet to the book? He was asked about excerpts from the book and he said he hadn't read the book yet. They were a couple of the excerpts were considered, I guess, perceived as controversial or negative. One in particular, the succession plan where he favored one coach over. Yeah, another. there's a, I found a headline about him spiraling over. I guess you always want to be. I mean, isn't a lot, just like Alex Ferguson determined his own successor? Is he not really? And he, and he actually did it very unsuccessfully at Manchester United. I guess the guys at Duke have figured that out and uh, are not letting Coach K choose his own successor. Well, he did ultimately win that battle. Duke wanted to hire Harvard's Tommy Amaker. Coach K did not want that to happen. And he got on the phone with Tommy Amaker and explained why he felt it wasn't in the best interest of Duke basketball for it to happen. So it didn't. So it was the one time where Mike... So he was a real king. Finally, and I know yeah. you've got to run now. Uh, you, you wrote a book on the captain, the journey of Derek Jeter. Great shortstop for the New York Yankees, less successful in his after career. Uh, I, I saw a headline about him no longer being an owner of the, uh, is it the Miami baseball team? Correct. Yeah. Does Coach K have another career in him? 
I mean, is there life after Duke for Coach K? I think he's going to be a very involved ambassador of that program. He doesn't have many hobbies. He doesn't play golf. He's not a big reader. He, he'll, he'll make some speeches. Well, he'll, I hope he'll read your book, Ian. He said he said he would in the offseason. So uh, we'll see how that unfolds. I'm not sure he's going to love every paragraph in it. Well, why should he? If he if he does love every cat paragraph in the book, then it's not a good book. So I hope he gets pissed off with some of it. I'm uh, sure he your will. new book, yeah. and, and Coach K, if you're watching, you need to read this like everybody else. Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski. Uh, it is number one bestseller in soccer biographies on Amazon, which is quite an achievement <laughs> since it's not about soccer, but I'm sure it's also number one in uh, base, uh, b- uh, basketball, basketball biographies. Yeah. Congratulations, um, uh, Ian, on that. Uh, on March 4, to take our mind off some of the terrible things that are going on in the world today, what else should people be reading? Well, the uh, the greatest sports biography I ever read was When Pride Still Mattered by David Moranis, who wrote a great book on Bill Clinton, wrote a great book on Vince Lombardi, one of my heroes, because he coached at my high school, St. Cecilia's in Englewood, New Jersey. And uh, his name, of course, is on the Super Bowl trophy. So that's the best or at least the, the best sports biography I've ever read. So I would recommend that. When I, I'm asked about books, I always flash back to my high school days, my teenage days and reading Brideshead Revisited by Evelyn Waugh. But, ah. and, and the story of, I was raised a Roman Catholic and uh, that story moved me at the time as many years ago, but uh, that was a great book. Well, that brings to mind Charles Spencer and uh, that world, Ian O'Connor, real, uh, real pleasure and honor. Congratulations again on the new book, Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski. Uh, Ian, finally, uh, I'm asking all my guests this to wrap up. Uh, Ian O'Connor, the author of Coach K. Ian, uh, who runs the world? Who's in charge? Well, I sure hope it isn't Vladimir Putin. I would say I'll, I'll keep it to my world. And and since we're talking the day before Coach K is uh, coaching his last game at Duke, I'll give this weekend to him as ruler of the world. And and also, and, and as really a thank you, as a bit of a sanctuary away from the, the problems that we have obviously overseas, which are which are very, very alarming and troubling. So I'll say Mike Krzyzewski for this weekend.